have in my hand. Powerful word of God. Change lives. Heal broken hearts. Save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now reach over there and hug your neighbor and tell them that you love them. Would you do that? And if you're sitting by yourself, reach over there and hug somebody. Or hug yourself, either way. All right. If you have those Bibles that you held up, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 29. We're beginning our new series, Once Upon a Marriage. We're going to examine in detail four couples in the Old Testament and see how, for better or for worse, their marriages can speak into our lives today and hopefully make us better and help us to be better. We all need checkups and we all need tune-ups and we all need those things. Can you say amen? amen. Uh, especially after being locked away in homes. Uh, uh, if you if you're, don't have children at home, uh, you really got close to each other. Amen? <laughs> Sometimes maybe too close. If you do have children at home, I can, you can understand why people say, I would just as soon kill them as to keep them. I understand <laughs> why, certain, why certain animals eat their young. You can understand that as well. And kids are so grateful that tomorrow they can go to school again. Amen. No, that's every parent's dream. Yes, thank Jesus. And every teacher's nightmare. Oh, I get the darlings one more time. But I want to start out this morning with some participation. So ladies, I need your help. And I want you to be honest. When you were a young girl, you dreamed one day of getting married, having the perfect marriage, the perfect wedding. And you, I mean, you, you maybe even have named your kids before you were even 16. If that's you, would you raise your hand? All right. Okay, men, your turn. By the time you were 16, you were dreamed of getting married, being married with that future wife. And uh, having relations with her twice a day, three times on Sunday. All men raise those hands. Yeah. Okay, you were hoping to get married. Let's just start with there. There we go. That's the safer one. Okay. All right. The reality is when it comes to romantic love, our world is very confused, isn't it? What we often tell through stories and examples, we teach our young girls and boys... And especially girls, it seems like that one day your Prince Charming is going to ride in and you're going to, he's going to sweep you off your feet and everything's going to be perfect from that moment forward. You get the house, the white picket fence, the dog and the 2.5 kids. And you're going to live happily ever after. But the reality is happily ever after <laughs> doesn't come in a lot of marriages. What we're going to do as we go through this series is we're going to look at some stories. And today's story has some weird twists to it. It's really an interesting story. And it's in the Old Testament. It's a story of Jacob. And he sees this beautiful girl named Rachel. And uh, he really likes her. I mean, he looks at her and he goes, whoa. <laughs> oh. How many of you guys can identify with him? Oh. Uh-huh. But let me, let me set the context for you. Jacob traveled to a well, and at the well there was his uncle. His uncle's name was Laban, and also at the well was Laban's daughter. Her name was Rachel. 
one of those drop-dead gorgeous girls. Any of you see those? Oh, yeah. All the time you see them, don't you? Just drop-dead gorgeous. They're, they're just some of those. They may not be very smart, but they're drop-dead gorgeous. Amen? <laughs> Thought I'd get that in for what it's worth. But he was immediately, probably because of her appearance, falling in love with her. And if any of you are doing the math, this was his uncle's daughter, which made her what to Jacob? <laughs> I don't know, maybe for Arkansas, I'm not sure. <laughs> easy, easy. Okay, southeastern Oklahoma. Okay, fine. <laughs> but nevertheless, he's falling in love with her. He's thinking to himself, most likely, if I can just marry this girl, this girl, everything in life will have meaning. Everything's going to be just like it should be. Now, I'm reading a little bit into the story, and I, I can do that. Preachers have a tendency to do that. And I'll let you know when I'm reading into it. But we can put the puzzle pieces together, and here's what we know. We know that Jacob... Never had the love of his father. So those of you who never had the love of your father or your father was gone or absent or distant, you know what that feels like. It creates a longing. It creates an emptiness. We also know that Jacob lost the love of his mother. So you can only imagine how that compounded what was going on inside of him. We also know that at this point in his life, he really didn't grasp um, uh, the unconditional love of God. So it's, it's really no wonder, no wonder that when he sees this beautiful girl, he's probably thinking something along the lines of, hey, maybe she's the one. Maybe she's the one. If I can just get married to her, then finally this marriage will fill the emptiness that I feel so deeply inside. And in our world today, it happens all the time, doesn't it? Maybe you were that girl or you were that boy and, and if you were that girl, you just always felt inadequate or empty unless you had a boyfriend. If there wasn't a boyfriend, well, something was wrong. Something was wrong. Or it could be that guy who, who has that, that really smoking hot girl because you want all the guys to think you're cool because you were able to get that girl. Yeah. You walk around like she's a trophy to be displayed. Or maybe you could be that middle-aged guy that, she, that, that, that you know who has been, he's had a faithful wife and kids and he thought it was great all these years and then he gets bored with the job and doesn't feel handsome anymore and his hair is falling out and his gut's growing out and I don't know whatever. But he trades his faithful wife in for a younger girl who is really nothing more than a commodity to make him feel powerful and desirable. If I just had that marriage, then it will fill the emptiness that I feel so deep inside. Well, let's go to Scripture. See what's going on in Jacob's mind. In Genesis 29, let's look at verses 16 and 17. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Verse 17 says, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. The Hebrew scholars will argue about what it meant to describe Leah as a weak-eyed girl. What that basically means is she wasn't very attractive. 
Now, she could have had, some have gone on to say, that she could have had some deformity that caused her face not to be beautiful. Because what it says, and it's interesting because it doesn't compare Leah's eyes or Rachel's eyes with Leah's eyes. It says Leah had, was a weak-eyed girl, and Leah, I mean Rachel, was beautiful in form and body. Woo. Well, you do the math. <laughs> okay? Just from a personal standpoint, I would never undervalue the importance of physical attraction. God made us to be attracted to each other. Amen? Now, far be it, when you look back at those pictures years ago, whew, and you fast forward and take a look at the picture today, whew, <laughs> I got you, I understand. But I don't know, there's just something about growing in love together over a period of years. The physical isn't nearly as important as what's going on between the two of you. Can I get an amen there? But I believe in our world it's really overvalued. Especially this oversexed, over externally driven world where the external is often evaluated to the highest point over and over and over again. It's just flat wrong. In fact, as we dig through this story, we're going to find out that it heavily implies that the older, less attractive was really the far superior person of the two. But so often today, all that matters is how do they look? Are they successful? What does the outside look like? And yet in reality, if we look carefully at the story, that's about all Jacob knew. He sees her, wants her. He's going to say that he's in love with her after only spending a month at her father's house. Now, you've got to understand, in that culture, boys and girls didn't get to hang out with each other. So he just had to be there to see her and not really interact with her much. But because of her beauty, her outward beauty, he was drawn to her. I'm in love with her. <laughs> he didn't even know her. Yet he claimed to love her. Now, outward beauty is important, but it's not everything. I read the story in preparation about a girl who ran into one of her former pastors. She was doing that ring thing, you know, holding it up. You know, you know how girls, when they first get that engagement ring, they walk around like this all the time, hoping that you'll catch a glimpse of that thing, that huge, that huge diamond that's just, yeah, when it's really just a little bitty speck and you got to get your magnifying out. Wow, that's awesome. But boy, it's big to her, right? So, so he's talking to her and he says, well, tell me about this guy. And so she says, well, his eyes. He's gorgeous. He's got these baby blue eyes that will just melt you. He's handsome. Whew. So the pastor looks at her and he says, well, tell me about his spiritual journey. Tell me about his salvation story. Oh, well, he doesn't really like to talk about that kind of stuff. No. Well, the pastor's concerned now. So he looks at her and he says, well, what is it about him that you just think is so good? She goes, oh, listen, his eyes, his eyes. And so the pastor then begins to probe and he says, do you plan to have kids? She oh, yeah, we plan to have several kids. We've talked about it. He said, well, here's my concern. Your baby gets sick and your baby needs prayer. 
Well, so what's this guy going to be able to do but look good and stare at that baby with baby blues and just go, okay. You're going to need a spiritual leader at that moment in the life of that baby because it's sick. And you need a spiritual leader. You've been a Christian all of your life and you're going to... And she, she says, oh, but he's so handsome. Oh, and those blue eyes. Well, I just believe that he'll pick it up as we go along. Happens all the time, doesn't it? Very likely that was, that's what was going on with Jacob. He's thinking, my whole life is empty. If I can just marry this one, then my life's finally going to have meaning. It's going to matter. I'd like to just submit to you today that the premise that marriage is the answer, marriage is what I need, is the very reason why you're not achieving what God wants you to have today. Three problems when we wrongly believe that marriage is the answer. The first one, when you believe marriage is the answer, you compromise more than you should. You give up some things that are important to you or important to God in the pursuit of that one who will satisfy you. Let's look at verse 18. Jacob goes up to the father, Laban the uncle, and says, I'm in love with Rachel. And he says, and so he says, I will work for you. And then he says, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter. Now, in that culture, that would, uh, that would happen quite often. You would go and make some type of purchase for your bride, money, livestock, or work. And you might say, well, boy, that's incredibly romantic that he would go seven years. Well, he went four times the needed amount. He was so taken by her beauty that he was willing to do anything to have her. Anything to have her. Which is the same thing people do all the time today. To get love from each other, we compromise and do some incredible things. Sweet girl says, I want to save my body until I'm married. Meets this cute guy she wants to marry. He pushes her sexually. and So she is like, well, I'd rather not. But if I give him my body, well, then maybe he'll give me his heart. She compromises. Or perhaps she's dating some guy who's really just a jerk and doesn't really treat her well. But she's been taught, if I can just get married... I mean, my clock's ticking. I'm almost 30 and all my friends are married. I, I love them, but I hate them because they're all married and I'm not. He's not that great to me, but if I marry him, maybe, maybe he will change. She compromises again. Or she's a strong Christian and she's dating a guy who's not very spiritual and he wants more. And She says, well, you've got to start going to church with me. He says, okay. I just start going to church. And then they go to church. And then she gives in. Because she's compromising. Because he did something, she's going to give something in return. Or it's the guy who wants to impress the girl who's really shallow. So he goes into debt to buy her all these things and puts the image on so that hopefully she will be attracted to him. But it's not real. It's compromising more than you should. I'll work seven years. It would only really have to be two. But I'll work seven because I will do anything to have this one that finally makes me feel valuable. When marriage is your answer, you will compromise more than you should. Secondly, when wrongly, 
uh, when thinking about marriage is, is your answer, you tend to become very demanding. Very demanding. And that's exactly what Jacob did. Look at verse 21. He'd worked seven years, which is amazing. And then Jacob says to Laban in verse 21, Give me my wife. My time is completed. And I want to lie with her. You didn't think that was in the Bible, did you? What's he saying? I did my part. Now it's time for her to do her part. Can you see how shallow that is? Well, that's a great way to build a relationship lifelong, isn't it? But it's what happens in so many marriages today. Rather than being a covenant where we lay down our lives for each other, the marriage erodes into a contract. I deliver this, so you deliver this. I do this, you do that. And all of a sudden, dissatisfaction comes into our lives and our expectations are thrown out the window. And It can happen in any number of ways. Sex is one of them. Sex is a commonplace. Guy says, I'm doing this for you, baby. You got to do this for me. She says, I'm going to withhold this from you because you ain't doing this for me. And the story goes on and on and on and on. You might say, preacher, you shouldn't be talking about that in church. We ought to be talking about this more in church. That's the problem. Because we're letting them go outside the walls of this church and hear this information. And, oh, and it's accurate. It's right on the money. Amen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some men, you're, you're married to a demanding wife. You move to a new city. She doesn't want to go there. She gets there. You're making extra money. She says, okay, I made this move. I didn't want to come here. I want this. I want this house and I want this in this neighborhood and I want all Maybe she gets nitpicky about every little thing. Some of you are starting to elbow each other. Don't do that. <laughs> At least where we can see it. Women can be demanding, but so can men. <laughs> men are incredibly demanding. Wife works all day, comes home, she's exhausted. He sits down, where's my dinner? And in her mind, she's going, where's my dinner? <laughs> Or maybe you're one of those blessed ladies that can stay home all day and you're, you know, there's enough means and you can be the, be the homemaker at home. And he comes home from work and says what? Well, it must be nice sit around all day and do nothing. You know, at that point, you have every right by God to deck him right there in the floor. <laughs> in fact, when the thoughts of I'm going to kill you cross your mind, it may be a spiritual uh, anointing. You compromise more than you should. You become demanding. And then thirdly, when you think that marriage is your answer, you will always end up dissatisfied. And I will emphasize always. You will always end up dissatisfied. Some people, they enter marriage with so many expectations that there is no way that any one person could ever fulfill them. And what you've done is that you have essentially set up your spouse for guaranteed failure. That's what was going on in the story. Let me just catch you up to speed here as we look at, at a couple of verses. Jacob was like, I, I've got to marry this girl. She's beautiful. He's worked seven years. They're going to have this wedding. This uncle was sitting around, and he's thinking, I've got a problem because my oldest daughter, Leah, and it was tradition that the oldest married first. He's got a problem because now she's not so attractive. I, I don't know if I'm ever going to get rid of her. And I need, to, I need to get rid of her because she's the oldest. 
So the wedding feast comes up. And trust me, in these days, about seven days worth of feasting was going on. Lots of alcohol going on. And I would suspect that Jacob got a little bit on the tipsy side. Well, I think he got downright drunk. I'll just be honest with you. Because of what happened. Because, oh, Uncle Laban's sitting around and he's going, Man, i got to get this oldest one married off. What am I going to do? Ha, ha, ha. Comes up with an idea. So he gets this bridal veil, puts it on his oldest daughter, puts a full-length dress on her, and he says, Now, go into the marriage chamber and seal the deal. And then you'll be married to him. And of course, what did Leah do? Just that. Look at verse 23. When evening came, Laban took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. And when morning came, what's your Bible say? What? There's Leah. <laughs> you ever woke up? Now, this would be too revealing, wouldn't it? The Bible says that Laban said this. <laughs> Remember, I told you sometimes you stop, you move it, and oftentimes I don't stop and do it, but I am now. So Laban said, <laughs> he says to Laban, uh, uh, Jacob, what is this that you have done to me? I've served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Well, here's the bottom line. It's going to happen to you anytime you think someone else can meet all your needs. Happen to you every time. Whenever you believe that marriage is the answer, you're going to think that you've gone to bed with Rachel, but you're going to wake up with Leah. If you think that someone can meet all your needs, you're going to bed in the marriage thinking that they are going to meet them all. But when you wake up, you're always going to go, whoa, wow. Because no person can meet all the needs that you have. What's interesting is that Leah was really doing the same thing. Now, I'm reading into this a little bit, but she's like, I'm older. I'm, uh, he's stable. Uh, I could give him my body and he'll love me. Maybe he'll love me. Or maybe she's thinking, once he gets to know me, he'll love me. So she willingly deceives him, goes into, inter, into the mayor's chamber, and this guy with this guy that did not really love her. And her story is like so many people's stories. And as you watch throughout this marriage, as she tries thing after thing, hoping and thinking, if I do this, surely He will love me now. Watch how it plays out. Look at verses 31 and 32. Saddest verses in the whole story. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, He opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It's because the Lord has seen my misery. Here's the saddest words. Surely my husband, what does your Bible say? Will love me now. Man, those words break my heart. Don't they yours? Surely he will love me now. If I give him children, maybe our marriage will work out. If I, if I make more money and I buy her what she wants, maybe our marriage will work out. If, if I have the surgery and give him what he wants, maybe, maybe he will be attracted to me then. If we have this lifestyle, whatever, surely he or, he or she will love me then. But he didn't love her. I want to pause for a moment and ask a question. What's missing in this whole story from the start up till now, what's missing? Well, let me give you the answer. 
There's no evidence of prayer. There is no evidence of anyone seeking God. There is no evidence of any faith. There is no evidence of any spiritual connection. And as far as we can see, it's all based on what I want out of you. They were searching for the one. And the problem is they were searching for the wrong one. This is what we've been taught by the time that we were born by culture and we're conditioned to believe it's a true statement that we're going to find Mr. Mr. or Mrs. Wright and if we can just find that one we'll be happy if we can meet and marry that one we'll be happy boy meets girl maybe this is the one I mean he's cute maybe he's the one I love her personality maybe she's the one but the better thing to say when you meet someone of the opposite sex that you think could be the person to marry instead of saying I think perhaps I've met the one you need to ask yourself have I met the two have I met the two Because you see, what's really important is you need to find a person that is so much in love with Jesus that it'll be so radically obvious. You need to find that person that is so much in love with Christ. He is the one. You are the two. So you've got to find a, a husband or a wife who's so much in love with Jesus. You gotta point them to Christ. I ask our teenagers all the time when they're dating different ones. I say, where do they go to church? Well, I don't really know. And my answer to them quickly is, then that ought to be the first question you ask. Because if they're not going to church, run! (laughs) At least at church, you've got your brothers Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that can climb all over them if you need to. I tell girls all the time when you're dating and the boy's getting a little bit uh, uh, frisky, put your Bible between you. It's harder to climb over than four brothers. If I don't work, open to Revelation 20 and read about the damnation coming ahead. I said, he may put you out on the street corner. Well, call me. I'll come get you. Whatever you got to do to stop that stuff. Don't let Satan win. But you need to become the two. The two. What's the one big command that Jesus said? He said to make God what? Number one, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength and spirit. Love the Lord your God. So you want to find somebody that looks like that. Amen. That's the person you want to saddle up to. That's the person that you need to hang on to. But I want to I want to fast forward to the end of the story because I mean, this, this story is complex. You can read the rest of it yourself. There's so much in there. But there's a whole part that I'm leaving out for the sake of time. Please read it. But I want us to focus on the next couple of, uh, for the next couple of minutes on the end of the story with Leah because we've been spending time. We haven't been spending much time with her. We've talked more about Rachel. But to catch us up, Leah had three sons, each time thinking this will make him love me. She goes on to have a fourth one. And something's different this time. Look at verse 35. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will what? Praise the Lord. This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Now, 
This time she says, I will praise the Lord. We finally have some spiritual dimension here, don't we? This time I will praise the Lord. And what's amazing about this son, Judah? Well, here's the deal. It was Leah, it was Leah, the older one, not Rachel, the younger, beautiful one, that was the mother of Judah through whom centuries later our Savior would be born into the world. Jesus Christ would one day be born, proving once again in Scripture that out of something that did not start right, God brought one of the most beautiful miracles into the history of the world. I want you to hear this. If you're, if you're married and, and if that marriage didn't start out right, it may not be right today. If two people seeking one, there's it, anything's possible. Anything's possible. You say, well, where do I start? Well, here's the best thing I can do. If you are married today and you're here this morning, I want you to reach over and get hold of the hand of the person you're married to. Do it right now. Because I'm going to show you how to get started. Now, if you're by yourself, hold your own hand. <laughs> and while you're holding that hand, think of that hand, that other hand in your hand being your spouse's hand. And this is the simple prayer that I would have you pray. God, teach us to make you our one. God, teach us to make you our one. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, don't turn loose of that hand yet. Because that hand that you're holding, you can start something that can be incredible. And if you have physically that mate with you, you can have such an incredible Spiritual experience. Because when you both put God number one, it changes everything, doesn't it? Those of you that know what I'm talking about, say amen. You know what I'm talking about. And so I'm encouraging you today and I'm challenging you today to really be fulfilled in life. You have to find the one and don't forget God is your one and your spouse is your two. And great things can happen. Phyllis is going to come to the keyboard and I just want you to pray with me right now as we close. Father, we ask that you would do a work in so many hurting people today. God, I know there are marriages in this room that are strained deeply. Some have been burned by previous bad marriages. And they've carried the scars of those marriages for a long time. And they've kind of lost hope. God, I'm praying that over the next four weeks, that this becomes a time of hope and that your Holy Spirit can do a healing work in them. And God, I want to ask you to do that. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And amen.